Welcome to the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. I am your host, Delenia Agresta, and I am a weight-inclusive registered dietitian. I started this podcast to help people like you heal their relationship with their bodies and food. Each week, there is a new episode that talks about different topics surrounding eating disorder recovery, diet culture, weight inclusivity, and more. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. This is your host, Eleni, and as always, I'm so grateful to have you here with me today. Today, we have a special guest. Um, her name is Heather Lasco. She is a dietitian and owner of Confidently Nourished, and I'm so excited to have her. We're going to be talking about a really important topic in terms of the kind of disordered eating disorder community and um, sobriety. So, Heather, mm-hmm. welcome. Hi, hi. I'm so happy to be on here. I'm excited. I'm so happy to have you and I'm excited you're on the East Coast as well. Did you did you get any snow? Mm-hmm. I did get a little snow, but it's gone. It is do you still have any? Like little piles of it. Yeah, it's like 50 some degrees today, so it's gone. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to the gym and I wore like shorts because I was like, I know they're gonna have on the heat in the gym and it's gonna be so like muggy and disgusting because it's raining here. And it was definitely mm-hmm. a good choice. Yeah. Where are you again? New York. I live in Long okay. Island, which is like the suburb. Okay. I was wondering which part of, I knew it was New York, but like not, I didn't know which part. <laughs> oh yeah. New York is a big place. I'm not upstate. I'm like about maybe like an hour, maybe a little bit less depending on traffic from Manhattan. Okay. Two of our other RDs um, live in New York too. We have Joanna and in Brooklyn and then Danielle in upstate New York it's a great place I love it here I I, I yeah. always love traveling to other places but whenever I come home I'm like okay I'm glad I'm back you know yeah, it's a good place to come home to <laughs> for sure I mean I wouldn't be opposed to living like on an island in Greece somewhere I guess like I'd have to rethink that but you know yeah Greece would be very nice that's on my bucket <laughs> list <laughs> yeah. oh my god you definitely have to go so good. Um, so so give us a little bit of a background about you um and mm-hmm. your how you became a dietitian, why you became a dietitian, and kind of like your journey. Okay, yeah, that it, it's that's a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's see where to start. So how I kind of became a dietitian or decided to become a dietitian is very similar to a lot of other dietitians. Um I did not go in thinking I would ever work with eating disorders or disordered eating or that I had either of those. Um, I mainly went in like, I'm going to help people lose weight. Mm. And that is because I had lost weight in a non-healthy way. And so I had done that and everything. And everyone was like, well, you are obsessed with nutrition and that's mm-hmm. all I was doing at the time. So go be a dietitian. <laughs> and that's kind of what started it from there. That's yeah. I mean, I think literally I could think of like a million people that literally had that same mm-hmm. experience. And so for you, were you someone who like struggled with diet culture throughout your lifetime? Was it something that happened le- like later on in your early 20s or whatever that time frame mm-hmm. may have been? Yeah, it was honestly interesting because I had a pretty decent relationship with food all throughout childhood and like um, up until high school. And then we had like severe like food insecurity for a period of time. Um, And so like I probably had some binging behaviors due to the food insecurity. It was never really about looks. And then as soon as I got out of high school, I was like, oh, I have a body (laughs) and this, I can like try to contort my body and other people are trying to contort their body. Let's see like what I can do. Mm -hmm. And I fell down a wormhole. Interesting. So what, like, like, were there specific diets that you followed? Was it just like counting macros or tracking calories? Yeah, it's funny because the first thing I ever tried was Weight Watchers. Oh, yes, <laughs> and I like I cannot stand Weight Watchers oh, like God. at all. But that was the first thing, and then the second was Tone It Up Girls. I don't know if you've ever heard oh, of them. Oh yes, 
Yeah. So they were like my idols back then. And I was like, wanted to be them. I thought they were so cool and pretty and everything that like, I thought that I wasn't. And so I followed, I bought everything that they ever put out (laughs) at the time. I forgot about them. Oh my goodness. No one has mentioned them in such a long time. And if you think about it, they were selling that, like, I think they they were in California, like this beachy lifestyle. They were like Mm -hmm. super thin and like long hair and like, you know, whatever. And they would show their stupid smoothies and probably Mm -hmm. 200 calorie breakfast and stuff. So I know. I remember like years later after um, like I was doing, they'd always have like this slim down thing that you would do for like five days before you did their regular meal plan. And it was like very, very low calorie. And I was like, how was I surviving then? Like, I have no idea. (laughs) You remember at the time, like struggling with any sort of like specifics of the program or was it like more of like in hindsight you realize like okay this is like messed up like that's not I remember like yeah not being able to completely stick to it Mm. um the foods were like very odd like I had never ate like weird kale salads (laughs) and like all different kinds of like recipes that had all these substitutions of like coconut flour and almond flour and everything I like never even did that before and there I was like trying to search in Wegmans like where I could find these things insane oh my goodness are they like still around at all do you know I think they sell their products. I'm not sure, but I feel yeah. like they're the type to like pivot to like mindful living or some other nonsense, you know? Yeah. I think they have pivoted to like more of a self-care model. Like we're taking care of ourselves. Oh my God. Literally nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. But yeah, that was like the gateway into that and Weight Watchers was the gateway to diet culture. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, talking about your experience growing up with food insecurity, that's something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily recognize as mm-hmm. playing a role in your relationship with food. And mm-hmm. if if you would like to kind of like explain to people like kind of like the root causes of like how that impacts your really because because a lot of people I don't think would understand necessarily like like oh if yeah. you don't have access to food then you know how are you binging or you know that type of thing and like the reasoning like the behavior mm-hmm. I think that could be really helpful for the listeners yeah of not having like consistent access to food um on a daily basis or even like throughout the day it's almost almost like when food gets in front of you, like I need to have it now. And it's very, very like, it's, it's biological (laughs) too of like, you know, our body is like, okay, we're getting the food now. Like, let's do this. It's like kind of when someone has, you know, not ate enough Mm -hmm. during the day and then is binging at night, except this is like more, um, like economical and societal. And I think it, it's something that that should be more more talked about because I think a lot of people may not have even recognized that they were experiencing mm-hmm. something like that growing up, you know, like maybe your mm-hmm. your parents or your caretakers or whoever was, you know, raising you like may do so that like you wouldn't have recognized mm-hmm. that. Um, but I think it just definitely plays a role. And so like when you go from that like scarcity, not just like because of a scarcity mindset because you're restricting your intake, but mm-hmm. because like physically it's not available to you yeah it mm-hmm. definitely wreaks havoc on how your body perceives when you can get mm-hmm. food you know it makes yeah. sense to me why you would feel the need to you know overeat or binge or whatever it may have been mm-hmm. at the time I remember like loving Oreos like so much they were just like my ride or die and I never understood and now I'm like oh well yeah <laughs> Oreos. That was all there was. Oreos are delicious. Like I still still have them all the time. Um, but I remember eating like almost a whole pack of Oreos, but that might have been like the only thing that was available. Yeah, which makes complete sense. Um Mm -hmm. and I think people need to like hold space for that. Like 
mm-hmm. on TikTok there I follow a creator and she like stitched a video of a woman who she was going to like the dollar store to like she said okay I have $43.12 mm-hmm. to last me for the week and I have to like buy groceries for my family and she showed how she was using like all mm-hmm. these different products and there were people in the comments that were so fucking stupid that mm-hmm. were like oh that's you know like they were criticizing her and I'm like those meals look as balanced as it could be given like mm-hmm. the economic restraint and like people this is a real life thing like right now we are are I don't know if we're in a recession or whatever I don't know who yeah whatever they're saying now <laughs> yeah you know who knows um it might be the apocalypse but mm-hmm. you know what you know people joke around with the egg thing right like oh mm-hmm. I mean I see a lot of like fashion memes because I'm a big fashion girly and people oh, are like yeah, oh like so- like instead of like buying a Chanel now I have to buy like eggs but it's like it's funny but it's not because there are people who literally mm-hmm. are struggling to put food on the table for their families because it's so high the prices mm-hmm. and it's like it just breaks my heart and it makes me sick how people like make fun of it but it's not funny mm-hmm. it's like you know yeah. I'm very fortunate it's a serious problem it's a huge problem and like I'm fortunate mm-hmm. where like I didn't even notice that there was a difference of the pricing in eggs. Like I don't have to mm-hmm. look at like, oh, is it four fifty or three twenty nine or you know, whatever it may be. It it didn't like impact me. Like I didn't even think about it. But there are people yeah. like that's how I figured out that this was going on, like because of the memes and stuff. And the I was memes. like, that's like not funny at all. Like mm-hmm. that's a real thing. And um, you know, I think yeah, it's just and it's no, please oh, yeah, continue. <laughs> no, 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 don't apologize. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, right? Because like with um, kind of going back to the Tone It Up girls and like the kale salads or what those people were saying to that person on TikTok, um, that's why people think that like, quote unquote, healthy eating is so expensive because people have made it expensive. I like eating enough and eating like a variety of foods is is not that expensive like food is expensive right now but it's not like wildly expensive unless you're getting like you're told you can only get organic yeah you can only get this brand you can only get that brand and I remember being in college and following that and not being able to get enough food because I was only buying those things um, I think that's also a really important point. And it's like the the glorification of these like health foods, like quote unquote mm-hmm. health foods. And one of the things that I kind of stopped doing maybe maybe over the past year or so is stop referring to food as healthy, like a specific mm-hmm. meal as being healthy because it gives people the impression that like, oh, if you're not having something like this, then it's not healthy. And at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, like any food that fits within your budget, that tastes good, that nourishes you, that feels good is healthy, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think like it really define, redefines like what people perceive. So, you know, you, you think like, oh, healthy, like what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Like you may have a different kind of picture in your head from like, based on like your Mm -hmm. previous disorder, eating disorder brain. And my, you know, view is like, obviously I don't even eat chicken now, but like, like a grilled chicken with like brown rice and broccoli. Mm-hmm. and Like, you know, the half a cup of brown rice. Cause you know, that's a serving and that's what I should be having. Obviously that's mm-hmm. not true. And I don't go by that anymore, but like, that's just part of like how diet mm-hmm. culture shaped what healthy is. And it, it demonized cultural foods and cultural cuisine mm-hmm. of people from different areas in the world, different parts of the country. And it like really screwed up so many things. So definitely mm-hmm. not a fan. Don't recommend diet culture. No, <laughs> me either. <laughs> um, so, so, okay. So you went into dietetics from this like level of disordered eating. Um, and mm-hmm. so would you say that like you full on had binge eating disorder? So it's interesting, right? Because like, like there was binging tendencies, but when I got into college, like it was more, more so like restricting, but no binging. And so it, it more so turned into like an atypical anorexia mm. situation. And I hate, we don't word. like that word, atypical. but typical, 
that's what was the diagnosis. And that's also what prevented me from getting help is because I never reached a body weight that was of concern. And when I was even like my lowest, I was still being told to continue. So disgusting and so problematic. It's heinous. It's Mm -hmm. literally makes out of so for those of you who who are listeners of this podcast you probably have listened to like me talk about my time when I used to like volunteer at an outpatient eating disorder program and throughout my years there there was only one time when we had a patient who was a girl who was in a larger size body and I had never seen that before they had never taught us that in school all of the other Mm -hmm. patients that were there were in very small bodies And I remember this girl specifically, she was like a little bit older than the rest of them. I think maybe she was like 16 and the rest of them were like 10, 12, 13, like really young. Um, And so she was in a larger body. And so they literally had her still at estimated energy levels to promote weight loss. Which like, I remember sitting there like at the table with them and because I was like younger then. So they kind of saw me as more of like a peer. And I was like, this, mm-hmm. this, it felt weird to me. And like, obviously I was an intern. So it's like, what am I supposed to do? Nothing, you know, like, it's not up to me. Mm-hmm. Um, But I just remember thinking like, how screwed up is that? Where everyone else is mm-hmm. like eating these insane calorie, you know, goals to help them gain X amount of weight, whatever. And she's coming in doing the same behaviors as everyone else, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever they specifically were. And they're telling her that she still needs to lose weight. That's basically what it was. And I was like, it's just, it's like one of those things in my mind that I'll like never forget because it's so harmful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so messed up. And I like always like to think that eating disorder treatment centers are getting better um, until I meet another client that has gone through something very similar and has like experienced weight stigma. And I'm just always like really come on (laughs) yeah it's so annoying and so gross and so disgusting and it does people such a disservice Mm -hmm. and it it makes getting adequate care inaccessible and it also Mm -hmm. it also shows such a like such a huge lacking of the healthcare system Mm -hmm. yeah and it completely invalidates what is going on too that like oh okay you're still doing these behaviors but like you know Mm. it's not quote unquote like as bad even though like people of all different body sizes can be affected by eating disorders and can have like some can have metabolic markers that are off some cannot like there's so many different things besides just BMI which I absolutely can't stand yeah no (laughs) general so, so you went into your DI, right? Your dietetic internship. Mm-hmm. And so like, were you still in this space? So of- I was starting to, I found intuitive eating on Instagram, um, during like some point in my DI, like dietetic internship. And I was like, Whoa, what is this? <laughs> it's like, I've never heard of anything like it. Yeah. And I just became fascinated and started like doing my own wormhole research down (laughs) that way read the intuitive eating book um got a therapist and that was pretty much like the way that I was able to slowly but it has taken like years and I also want to normalize that like I'm still working on and I'm a provider and I think that that is okay right I feel like there's this thing that like just because you're a provider doesn't mean you can't ever struggle um I think that it's okay to have bad days even if you are a provider it's like dietitians can go see dietitians therapists go see therapists doctors go see doctors 100% and I think I think people need to recognize and something that I like to always remind my clients is that recovery is not always linear. There are Mm -hmm. so many different things that happen in our lives that can bring up old thoughts or make the diet culture brain, you know, part of our brain speak a little bit louder. And I know like for many people, 
the pandemic was a really tough time for mm-hmm. obvious reasons, but also because like you're at home, a lot of people lost their jobs, they're home with their families, their kids, whatever the deal may have been. And the only thing that we had control over was what we were eating. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah. the, the quarantine 15 popped up and then there were, mm-hmm. I remember that <laughs> of like personal clients that were regressing in certain areas because it's mm-hmm. just like, it go it goes to your comfort right what can we mm-hmm. do control and yeah. I, I remember yeah so yeah, yeah it was a really it, tough time it's still a tough time like it's mm-hmm. <laughs> there's still people getting sick like I had COVID in December and mm-hmm. you know I am someone who is still like I try to be very careful and mindful, especially like when I'm around family members that are older or immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, yeah, I still test myself twice a week and I want to know mm-hmm. if I'm carrying it because I don't want to pass it on to someone else. Give it to somebody else. Yeah. And when I was sick, like I didn't have coughing. I didn't have phlegm. I didn't have a cold. I didn't have a fever. My throat was mm-hmm. literally swollen. I couldn't I couldn't oh swallow. I, I lost my voice for like five or six days. It was like, I literally wow. couldn't talk. It was just, the pain was so bad. Probably should have asked my doctor for some prednisone. Cause I think that would have helped. But in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, when you're just like struggling and I'm like, a, I'm a struggle, a suffer in silence person. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, like quiet, like trying to drink. It was, <laughs> it was terrible. But the point is, is that like everyone gets it differently and it's still a thing and people could still get really mm-hmm. sick from it. Um, yeah. But yeah, the pandemic was like such a, it changed my life. Like it changed the the trajectory, the the context of everything it made me like rethink so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in terms of like, you know, you talked about how you are still like on your journey, like that's a normal thing. It, you're never going to mm-hmm. be off this journey. It's always going to be a thing. Yeah. And I feel like uh, I've even talked with like, cause I have a dietitian, right. And I've talked with her and I'm like, it sometimes seems embarrassing to say that like, you have to see a dietitian. And I'm like, I want to try to like claim that because no, I think it's like, great. It should be like, we should be able to get help too. And I of feel course. like the more people that say they are getting help will normalize, like, because I thought that it wasn't normal for so long. Mm. And I had waited for years to work with a dietitian because I'm like, I should know this, right? <laughs> well, it's, and, and it's not about knowing it's because like, you mm-hmm. know things, but it's yourself. So it's very yeah, yeah, you have to like embody it and live it. And it's so different, like that you can know everything and be able to like help other people. And it doesn't make you any less of a clinician, but in your own self still have your own struggles that are separate. For sure. And like, like I said, like recovery is not linear and it's a hard thing. So if you're someone who has struggled many years with so many aspects of food and your relationship Mm -hmm. with food for things that were out of your control, for things that were in your control, like it makes complete sense. Like how many years of your life was that? Right. Maybe Mm -hmm. like 23. Yeah. That's what I always say to like (laughs) clients whenever we're talking, I'm like, let's talk about how many years we were like a part of that. And then we've only been engaging in treatment for like three months. (laughs) So exactly, it's going to take some time. It's a lifelong struggle. And especially like for women who want to have children, right? That's like a whole other Mm -hmm. arena there. Um, gaining that weight, um, dealing with the weight bias from healthcare providers. If you are struggling with mm-hmm. infertility, that's a whole other thing. So there's so many different aspects of mm-hmm. things that that you have to handle. So yeah, like you may not feel triggered to binge anymore, but you still may sh- struggle with like feeling guilty for eating certain foods or portions or like mm-hmm. feeling like, oh wait, like am I like intentionally restricting without knowing? Mm-hmm. something that can yeah. 100% happen so I think that it's great mm-hmm. and it should definitely be normalized and I think there there are many dietitians out there who would benefit from getting help and just like mm-hmm. you said you know I think it's just important for people to just normalize doing whatever's best for your own health and your mental health 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And like, I think also um, saying being able to eventually have the um, resources to have yep. like a team too, right? Because like probably thing. years ago, like I was never able to have those resources. I didn't have insurance, like <laughs> none of those things. So now it's, I'm like grateful to have those resources. No, that's great. And thank you so much for sharing that. I know there are mm-hmm. many dietitians that listen to this podcast and it, I hope that it helps inspire them if they feel the need to reach out for help or something. I think that that's really mm-hmm. great. Um, and so how, what would you say in terms of like, your own journey in recovery looking Mm -hmm. at like how diet culture plays such a huge role in like social media and now there's like like the hidden diet culture stuff that like is pretending not to be diet culture which I did look up the tone it up ladies and yes they are still on (laughs) social media making some random ass pancakes (laughs) which like looked like they had dirt in them so I don't know but um they're still there but they are trying to be like like the way that you said um mm-hmm. are there any things that you feel like you've recently learned about yourself mm-hmm. in terms of these types of kind of con- in this type of context yeah when it comes to um I think like that I've been very able to spot those things like out mm-hmm. um after doing some work that like oh okay that's not like a behavior or something that's going to benefit me that's another diet mm. <laughs> um but there are some really sneaky things mm. like even I don't know just like having to check yourself with like everyone getting treadmills desks lately right and seeing like am I getting the treadmill desk because I want to actually move and I feel like that would be beneficial or am I popping on this trend because I'm hoping for something else? Yeah. So kind of having that awareness too. I think that's a really big one. And I think there's a lot of people that are participating in diet culture in disguise. And it mm-hmm. kind of makes me like anti everything. Mm-hmm. Like even if it sounds cool, I'm like, like I see a lot of people doing like reformer Pilates. Now I'm not a class girly. I'm a weightlifting girly and I like being alone. Mm-hmm. I love the silence. An empty gym <laughs> is literally my dream in this lifetime. Yeah. Besides having baby goats, um, which, <laughs> you know, baby goats in a gym would be amazing. Um, but anyways, <laughs> so I see a lot of girlies doing this, like this yoga. And so like we t- have this conversation about girls in larger size bodies doing these classes and it's not necessarily very accessible for individuals Mm -hmm. in any type of body that isn't considered like the like Pilates Mm -hmm. body quote unquote you know because it's a very diet culture specific Mm -hmm. and so I see people doing that but I'm like am I gonna enjoy it do I really like is it like because I feel like I want to be part of the crowd or whatever and I think like I just kind of like what's the word like where you're like protesting like you're not going to do it kind of thing just mm-hmm. to make a point like of boycotting it, it. <laughs> yeah exactly um so um when it comes to like the walking pads I have mm-hmm. seen it as well and I'm like oh my god like maybe I need this walking pad situation mm-hmm. it looks so fun they have their Stanley cup which like I'm a basic bitch and I have yes. one too I know we have right matching here. one. Um, you know, so like I, I, I acknowledge those things, but Mm -hmm. I just feel like, first of all, it's not even made for all bodies. Those walking pads, some Mm -hmm. of them have a weight limit of like 150 to 200 pounds. Mm -hmm. That's number one. And it's not even accessible for everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people when evaluating their relationship with movement, they talk about getting their steps in which mm-hmm. to me is like very diet culture because it's like yeah. what number feels good to you. Now, of course, I'm a big proponent of moving your body if that's what feels good mm-hmm. for you. If that feels good. It depends on where you're coming from for that, you know, type of movement. Um, if you're saying mm-hmm. like, oh, I quote unquote feel gross in my body. I'm like, okay, well then movement is not a reason to move your body. But if you're saying mm-hmm. like, oh, I have like 
anxiety and I just feel fidgety and I feel like I have this extra energy and I want to expel that energy, that's a good reason. You know, doing it because yeah. it feels good, not because you're prescribing to a 10,000 step a day thing or, you know, mm-hmm. if you have like a fitness tracker that tells you what to do, like, oh, you mm-hmm. should go walk now or whatever. Um, I think it just, it, it becomes such a fine line. Yeah. I think like knowing the motivation behind things. Um, and that's just like, you know, you might not always know what your motivation is because you have to build like a little bit of like self-awareness skills, um, too, but eventually you can like through this process be like, Oh, okay. Maybe I don't need to buy the thing that everyone's telling me is going to quote unquote fix me. Yeah. I think, I think it's true. I think it depends it depends on the person it depends on the situation if mm-hmm. I had room for it would I get one maybe mm-hmm. do you spend so much time like on the in front of this computer you know and then after like, oh, same. <laughs> of, like standing up and be like oh wow like you know I feel stiff and like I do things like yoga and I do walk and things like that but like could it mm-hmm. be helpful on a day like today where it's raining and I'm not about to go walk outside like maybe. So I think mm-hmm. it just really depends. But I think, you know, you see the thin woman with her walking pad, with her cute little setup, with all her different beverages, and it just perpetuates mm-hmm. this diet culture, you know, um, kind of a- aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It reminds me almost of like the that girl trend a little bit too like part of that what is that girl trend I'm sorry I'm I'm a grandma I don't know what that is oh my goodness <laughs> it was like a trend I think like last summer or whatever on YouTube and then it kind of like faded over to TikTok where people were getting up at like five in the morning doing like drinking smoothies mm. like doing morning mantras and journaling and all this stuff and filming it but like they were doing it to become that girl and it was just very interesting yeah (laughs) instead of kind of doing things that like felt good or whatever and a lot of people were copying these videos like oh that's what I should do to be look like her or something like that and I just want to point out that it's not like it's a thought that that you directly have like, oh, I'm buying this Stanley cup or I'm buying this Mm -hmm. walking pad or whatever it may be because I want to look like this girl. It's like a subconscious thing where if that's what what your feed is constantly showing um, and Mm -hmm. you are constantly absorbing that type of content, it's like a subconscious thing where like you're going to be pushed to buy these things. Mm Want to achieve a smaller body you know, a thin Mm -hmm. body and it's often, you know, a thin white woman who probably is like well off financially, like that type of Mm -hmm. thing. And so it just, again, perpetuates diet culture and Mm -hmm. the fear of being fat essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be like another kind of like diet culture in disguise type of thing too, where people are like, oh no, we're just doing this to be healthy. And it's like, but is it? And I know everyone's healthy looks different, like you said, but um, I think like, you know, maybe that felt good for that person in that video. Right. But like, does, is that going to feel good for you? Exactly. It's like a very, it's like getting all those weeds out. It's really hard to get rid of them Mm -hmm. and then more grow back. So it's like, you constantly (laughs) have to be evaluating. And when it comes to journaling, like I'm just someone who like, I will think it sounds nice. It mm-hmm. is like, I couldn't do it. Like, you couldn't even pay mm-hmm. me to do it. And Like, what am I going to write? Like, I don't know. I'm I'm already in my head. I don't need to put it on paper because I've already heard it in my head before. So, like, mm-hmm. what is the point? And, I mean, journaling helps a lot of people. And I think that if it helps yeah. you, it's great. That's but it's great. like you see people having these leisurely mornings, you know, and, and we talk about privilege, right? So, like, if mm-hmm. you are privileged to be able to wake up early go to sleep early and you know you're not rushing to get on the train or trans you know commute to work or whatever the the deal may be someone who let's say is like a mom who works two jobs watching this person thinks like Mm -hmm. oh if I get that small piece of 
what this person is doing, then it'll make me feel more like that instead of like, you know, the fact that I'm working two jobs, I'm raising kids, I'm supporting my family. Like there's, it's just not realistic. And it's so toxic. right that mom probably needs the extra sleep instead exactly. of like the three hour morning routine. <laughs> exactly. A hundred percent. Um, so I think that those are all really good points. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it would be really cool if we can get into just that topic of the sobriety and, you know, yeah. recovery, because I think like mm-hmm. we were talking prior to our official recording, like, I think it's such an important topic and it's something that mm-hmm. is not spoken about enough at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I had started drinking very young. Um, probably it was like 13 when I had my first drink and it was never like, oh, we're just going to have one drink. It was always Mm. like all or nothing. Um, so I was always a binge drinker all throughout high school, all throughout college, all throughout my dietetic internship. Um, but during my dietetic internship, I, it started becoming a problem where like I started drinking by myself and it became like a nightly way to cope, to be able to fall asleep because mm-hmm. of having such bad anxiety and everything, which only fueled the anxiety yeah. <laughs> even more. Um, and I tried to quit after the dietetic internship just by myself and couldn't. Um, and I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe I don't have a problem. I'm still hundred percent functional, right? Like mm-hmm. I could hold a job. I could study. I could do all of the things. It only affected my nighttime hours and my morning hours for sure. <laughs> um, and then I think it was during the pandemic is when it got the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was pretty, pretty bad during the pandemic was, um, just drinking a lot on a day-to-day basis. And it just became like earlier and earlier and earlier in the day. And one morning I woke up and I saw all these posts about like sober October Mm. and I'm like, interesting. I feel like shit, I'm going to try this. And I have not drank since then. That's amazing. So I'm a very all or nothing person yeah. sometimes. And that and, was like my nothing point. And, you know, I think like evaluating any sort of habit in our life, right? Whether mm-hmm. or not it's actually making you feel good. Mm-hmm. It, and based on like what you just explained, like it doesn't sound like it was making you feel good at all. And like, mm-hmm. that's a great reason not to engage in a certain behavior. Yeah, of having like, you know, a lot of anxiety, panic attacks all the time, um, extreme depression, like so many mood things and everything. And then once alcohol was gone, it's not like those things suddenly went away, but they did get a lot better. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't recognize like the impact that alcohol has on our bodies. And it's so glorified by society. I mean, just mm-hmm. take just taking the pandemic, right? I can't even think of how many like daytime TV shows or like people on social media were like, oh, it's like five o'clock cocktail time. Let's make a cocktail at home. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like I, I spoke with you prior to us recording and I spoke about my experience with a family member who has is no longer mm-hmm. with us and she struggled with substance abuse and alcoholism. And I think it like, impacted me because I saw Mm -hmm. her and how it she struggled and it kind of like I guess like turned me off in a way like it was just never something that Mm -hmm. I was super interested in and then when I did engage in drinking it wasn't like some like I felt so poorly the next day where I was Mm -hmm. just like why would I do this you know like it doesn't make Mm -hmm. me feel good so I'd rather eat a cookie like at least a cookie is gonna make me feel good and I'm still gonna enjoy it you know (laughs) Um, But I think a lot of people during the pandemic were like trying to cope with what was going on Mm -hmm. and drinking was an easy, easy fix. You couldn't Mm -hmm. buy toilet paper, but you could go to the store and buy alcohol. And I remember like 
Yeah, I remember ordering those wine boxes. Yeah. And, and like that was the big thing at one point. They were like selling out of like the wine boxes. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to maybe I'll just switch to wine. Like I had switched back and forth to all different types of alcohol, thinking it was just the alcohol like that, that I was drinking. Type. Not... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think it's firstly so brave of you to share that. So thank you because mm-hmm. obviously a topic that, you know, we're talking about destigmatizing these things, but there's still mm-hmm. some stigma attached to it and people mm-hmm. still aren't so open and honest. And that's why, like when I talk about like my own experience, my struggle with anxiety and I'm like, I went on medication and it changed my life and it mm-hmm. saved my life. And I wish that I did it so many years sooner because my mm-hmm. life maybe would have been different. I mean, I- I'm so grateful for where I am today and I love mm-hmm. what I do, but like who, who knows? Like, you know, I talk about undergrad round one when I was pre-med and I was struggling with generalized anxiety disorder. I didn't know that I had it and I didn't know mm-hmm. how to deal with the anxiety that I had. And I thought it was just like normal. And I was like, oh, I'm just like not cut out for med school. But like, maybe if I was on the proper medication and I had the proper coping techniques, like maybe I would have been able to go, you know, Mm -hmm. which like, of Mm -hmm. course I could go now, but it's like, no, love what I'm doing. (laughs) So happy here. Um, But you know, you know what I mean? And so when we Mm -hmm. talk about sharing our own personal struggles with whatever it, it may have been, I think it's just so brave so first of all thank you for sharing that again and 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 I hope mm-hmm. that the everyone who's listening like recognizes to kind of like take a look at like your own habits and see like are mm-hmm. your habits serving you well and you know yeah. when we talk about like diet culture and alcohol we think about like oh it's like fun to go out for drinks like, I don't know, I've mm-hmm. never done that before, but, like, that's what people do. Like, I see it on social media all the time because, again, I'm a mm-hmm. grandma. But, like, I don't know, the idea of just going out somewhere to get a drink, like, just never made sense to me. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's the thing that people do. Yeah. And I never actually, like, went out to drink. I always drink at home. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like, that might have also been, like – a danger point to yeah. like starting to do that and then it becoming a pattern of doing it more frequently and it was like like it, it obviously seems like you know you have had as many people have had so much trauma throughout your lifespan and so it's like mm-hmm. a very common way of people trying to come to grips with like the feelings that you're having if you're not sure how to deal with them or how to what to where to put that or cut them off (laughs) 100 percent, yes for sure um and I think Mm -hmm. especially like you know you see a lot of people in diet culture and even like you know other dietitians or healthcare providers and they're talking about like you know there's skinny cocktails and how you can still drink Mm -hmm. and lose weight and it's like if you are so concerned about like, you know, a hundred calories or 200 calories or 300 calories of of like, you know, whatever drink it may be, it just like makes people want it even more. Right. Cause like, if you're already Mm -hmm. restricting your intake, you're restricting your calorie intake, it's going to make you want to drink more. It's going to make you want to eat more. Mm -hmm. It's like the same, the same thing, like when it comes to cookies, right. If you tell yourself I can't have Mm -hmm. cookies or I can only have one cookie while you're going to be thinking about is eating more cookies. It's a cookie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, I just think that a lot of people may struggle with, on some level, with using some sort of coping mechanism. And, you know, we mm-hmm. kind of talked about individuals who have had weight loss surgery and how, like, mm-hmm. obviously, like, I'm not a fan and I would not support mostly anyone getting it. Um, because I just think that the harm that it does is so much greater than any good that it, people may perceive it to having done. And a lot of people end up addicted to drinking and so other substances mm-hmm. because like they physically can't eat. And if they do, mm-hmm. they throw it up because your body can't take it. And so they yeah. turn to drinking. Yeah. It's just swapping one thing out with another, which is like, you know, kind of when disordered eating settled down a little more than like alcohol was easier to reach on to. And then sometimes they were coexisting together. 
and everything, yeah. but I can see why, like, you know, if you don't actually um, go to the root of, like, you know, what is going on, like, and everything and why someone's experiencing something, then they're going to just move to alcohol or move to another drug or move to another kind of like shopping gambling so many different things yeah I think that it's true and I think you know as a society it's become so easy to like have access to all these different things and Mm -hmm. because like it's so like glorified on tv and movies on social media you know it's like oh the the, you know you're on TikTok and you see these girls and they're getting dressed up and they're going out to this restaurant and they're having their espresso martinis which like I don't think I would want coffee and like no. like dairy like beverages <laughs> in an alcoholic beverage like that sounds literally disgusting but anyways mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people drinking them and I'm like oh like that's interesting I'd rather just have like an espresso like <laughs> yeah you yeah know? like a but- latte or something you know <laughs> um yeah but it just like it again like you know on tv how like they used to have like alcohol commercials and cigarette commercials and they would show like these like you know famous like beautiful people that were like smoking or drinking and it made like it made it enticing to people and so now it's Mm -hmm. kind of like the same thing except it's like all over all over social media and it makes Mm -hmm. it harder to recognize like hey is this like actually going to serve me well yeah, it's making me think back to the Tone It Up Girls aesthetic and like the drinking aesthetic and like smoking aesthetic and all of these are like um, drug aesthetic that yeah. sometimes people might not even realize like what they're getting into because it looks cool and it might be not a good choice for them. Yeah, so in terms of like your your private practice how do you handle like the alcohol thing with your clients mm-hmm. like do you ask them about it like i'm sure you do um yeah. but i'd love to see <laughs> from your like personal experience um mm-hmm. how does that play into your your practice and how you work with your clients yeah so i'm always like curious about like um my clients relationship with alcohol like just how we have a relationship with food um maybe even in their initial intake i'll have like some questions about their relationship with alcohol sometimes when i'm working with a client i might notice some trends in Mm -hmm. different things that are coming up and so we might have conversations of like how is this serving them like would Mm -hmm. something else be more beneficial but in the end it's like their decision to um I obviously like we can't prescribe someone or um diagnose someone as an alcoholic but I've definitely like seen red flags where I've given someone like a referral or some resources I think that's so interesting it's been a long time since I've had a patient that needed that type of support Mm -hmm. um I guess I attract like other grandma like women who who aren't big uh, yeah I actually like haven't had that many clients that um have had issues with alcohol maybe like somewhere um people are like partying and everything and they're like yeah I'm not really liking how I'm feeling and maybe we'll like question that like oh okay like do you notice does that happen after so many drinks is this often like how do you feel about that and we'll explore it a little bit yeah I think that's so interesting and it's definitely something that I think people need to recognize more. And like, if you are listening to this podcast right now and you feel like maybe like you are struggling with your relationship, not just with food, um, but with alcohol, we will leave some resources in the description box, um, in the mm-hmm. show notes, whatever it's called. Um, description mm-hmm. boxes, YouTube, Eleni. We're not on YouTube. We're on a podcast. Um, in the show <laughs> notes, um, to you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. And it's like such a normal thing, and always mm-hmm. bringing it to the surface and sh- like owning it and sharing it. I think is like the most important thing because, like, I think about my aunt who struggled with um drinking, and she would like kind of hide away, and my family would kind of like 
in a way like when she was drunk and like they wouldn't want her to be around and I think that that like didn't help her I think that really Mm -hmm. like acknowledging that that's just like a behavior that someone engages in and it doesn't reflect who they are as a person um Mm -hmm. is just so important and giving them the space to like not have to hide themselves because I think when you hide it and you keep it within yourself it becomes so much more harder to overcome Mm -hmm. yeah definitely having that support is so important and like you know even if you don't let everyone know that you're not going to be drinking, letting well, one person know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not saying you got to make a Facebook or Instagram post yeah. or talk about it. I mean, I think it would be cool because the more people like mm-hmm. that's why I scream from the rooftops that I take medication for my anxiety because a lot of people yeah. still are like, oh, I'm going to try and do it the normal way. I'm going to take all these supplements. And I'm like, for what? Like, mm-hmm. if there. I've learned that it's something that I need for me to just think normally for me to exist in a normal way that like a person who does not struggle with this, um, Mm -hmm. you know, would feel because I realized that I was living in this space for too long where like I was having a panic attack all day long. It felt like someone stabbed me in my chest and I walked around Mm -hmm. with that pain for years and I just was used Mm -hmm. to it. I would be up at four o'clock in the morning and my heart was racing for no reason. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, no, like it'll get better. I can handle it. Like it'll pass. Like, no, it did not pass. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, wish that I got the help that I needed sooner. So if you are struggling Mm -hmm. with anything, you did. Seriously. Um, Heather, are there any like lasting thoughts that you would like to leave the listeners with? Mm Hmm. Let's see. Regarding, like, I think alcohol and the connection with maybe disordered eating or eating disorders that, like, it they are, are co-occurring sometimes um, fairly often. And so they can sometimes, like, trigger each other, especially alcohol can yeah. trigger more of, like, your eating disorder or your disordered eating. And I think, like, the support, no matter what, um, and that can look like so many different types of things too which I'm sure that um you'll put some information in the bar or the for sure whatever <laughs> yeah the, wait what is it called the show notes yeah I swear guys notes, it's yeah. lunchtime here I don't know what's going on with us it's, I think I need to do something because <laughs> like my mind is not working properly and we're the internet's fritzing up a little bit but Heather thank you so much for coming on everyone I will leave all of her social media um, contact information, her website and everything in the show notes. So please go and give her a follow and her um, company Confidently Nourished. Um, And thank you so much, Heather. And I hope that you'll come back on and we could do another episode because there's always so many topics that we could talk about, especially as we head into summer. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you everyone for spending this time with us and I will see you guys next week. Bye.